This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Hey, quick note. There are English and Spanish episodes of Anything for Selena. This is the English one. Si quieres escuchar en español, vuelve al feed y selecciona la versión con el título en español. Produced by the iLab at WBUR Boston. Creosote, that ancient plant that grows in my home city, also thrives in the Sonoran Desert, its tough branches bathing in the scorching sun. But in the spring, something changes. Creosote blooms, and from its brittle-looking branches emerge these bright yellow flowers and fluffy white seeds. I've wondered... If the creosote was blooming this way, bright and lush, like a rare desert bouquet, on this spring day, the day my friend Emily experienced what would become one of her earliest, most profound memories. And I remember like stretches of desert. If anyone's made that drive, it's just stretches of desert. It's hot, hot sun. The story starts on the road. On a drive from Los Angeles to Tucson, Arizona, an eight-hour road trip traversing the Sonoran Desert, a journey Em and her family would make often to visit relatives. Emily was four, almost five, so her memory feels like a vignette, a blurry but vivid painting imprinted in her mind. She sat in the back seat of the family car, her parents up front. The radio on. Eight hours could be a trying drive for a four-year-old. Emily's mom, a professional mariachi singer, would pass the time by listening to music and encouraging sing-alongs. This particular drive, I remember the radio was playing her music, um, and I was excited because it was Selena song after Selena song. Em had been listening to Selena via her parents, and often on car rides like this one, virtually all of her life. But on this trip, Emily could tell something was different. I remember vaguely hearing um, the radio host talking about, um, you know, we've we've lost a a bright light or this tragedy. And these words that stick out to me, um, and they stick out because I didn't understand them. Em was confused. She'd been happy dancing to Selena music just a moment ago. But a few seconds later, everyone seemed to be talking like they were scared or sad. I must have heard maybe people calling in to express how they were feeling. Um, Because I then remember asking them, like, why are they sad? Like, what is happening? Like, why why are people crying? 
So I remember asking my parents, like, well, what does tragic mean? Or what is died? Like, I have an image in my mind of my parents, like, looking at each other and then looking back at me with the desert surrounding us and just saying, like, so Selena, the singer, she she died and she's no longer here. No longer here? Emily still didn't get it, partially because in her short life, she hadn't had to. No one she'd known had ever died, not even a pet. Her grandfather forbade the family from having animals. Their delayed heartbreak, he'd say. So Emily had never heard about death. It was confusing because in their in their euphemisms, they were telling me that death happens after life and it happens after a long life. Um, and it, it, it happens in a time that it's supposed to happen. But Em knew Selena was young. Her death didn't feel like it was supposed to happen. This feels different than this is not a natural death. This is, this is what that word tragic means. So you learned about tragedy through Selena? Yeah. Yes. By the time Emily's family near Tucson and the desolate Sonoran Desert turned into a city, Emily had spent hours trying to make sense of Selena, quote, being gone. Then she spotted the usual street vendors that signaled her family had arrived in Tucson or just outside of it. Today, though, all the vendors sold white roses after Selena's brother said they were her favorite flower. It was almost like seeing those white roses it it was like a shorthand for i'm i am mourning this with you it was like a visual representation of of loss that people were collectively sharing emily didn't know it then but she was witnessing something that would shape latino identity for generations to come with selena's death also came the birth of a symbol A symbol that would almost immediately spark a culture war. I'm Maria Garcia, and this is Anything for Selena, a podcast about belonging. Soon, Emily's family stopped at a vigil for Selena. These extemporaneous gatherings formed in small and big cities on the day of Selena's death. We can't believe this happened to someone like her. That's why we had to come here to, to make ourselves believe that she's gone. They were in downtowns, at parks, on the side of the road. There were candles, music, people crying. Four-year-old M hadn't seen anything like it. It was strange and kind of, in an odd way, like exciting to see that there was so many people around who also were experiencing this, this feeling collectively together. I think that, that really stuck with me um, 
understanding that so many people can feel something at the same time. I remember this feeling too, these vigils, these gatherings of working-class Latino folks, and particularly young girls and women, were really visible in the coming weeks. She represented us Mexican women, that we've always been put down, and she was on top of everything, on top of a lot of other people. I went to one of these vigils in El Paso. There were viejitos and kids, teens, people Selena's age, in their 20s. Fans from all over the South Texas area are here. They've gathered here at the scene, and their emotions are In Corpus Christi, fans gathered almost immediately outside the home Selena shared with her husband, Chris Bettis, in the blue-collar neighborhood of Molina, where she lived next door to her parents. I realized when I was watching the news all night long that it's not a fake. It's real. She's gone. In those early hours after the shooting, all people knew was that Selena's killer had barricaded herself in a truck, gun to her head, and that she had killed Selena violently. <laughs> Yolanda, will you step outside again? Louise? <laughs> you know what it is? You know what it is? Is that if I can, I, I, I cannot live with myself if somebody else is dead. I can't live with myself like that. Yolanda. A hostage negotiator tried to talk the killer out. Television stations across the Southwest cut into programming. Some went live nonstop. They have been able to tell us they have identified this woman. However, her name will not be released until they manage to get her out, gives herself up, or however the situation ends. In the meantime, we have people that are coming by, hundreds and hundreds of people. They are coming by, waiting to see how this is going to turn out. But in this pre-Twitter world, there was still very little information on what exactly had happened. The people who were most trying to piece together the news were Tejano radio DJs. And I get a page. We Back then we had pagers. Bo Corona was one of those Tejano DJs. He broadcasted out of Super Tejano 108 in Houston. And uh, my boss calls me. And says, I call him back and he's like, Hey, there's a problem in Corpus Christi, uh, something with Yolanda, and we don't know if she's alive or she's dead. I'm like, what? Bo was at an event when he heard the news. He dropped everything to drive back to the station. The radio played Selena the whole way there. I'm driving, and I'm like... No, 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 no. This can't be true. This is an April Fool's joke, right? I mean, come on. He made it back to the station and got on the air. The phones were blowing up. And we were getting phone calls from Corpus Christi, people calling in going, hey, we just saw cops or people are being surrounded at this motel and um, there's uh, TV stations and we don't know. By that evening, the Associated Press and the New York Times had confirmed the details. Then we got the news. And, you know, it's it's a tough one. I don't know how Mr. Quintanilla and Ms. Quintanilla felt, but whew, 
it was uh, really devastating. station played dead air at 5 p.m. in a moment of silence. Selena had been killed by her fan club president, 36-year-old Yolanda Saldivar. Saldivar was a Tejano superfan who'd worked her way into Selena's inner circle. She started a fan club and eventually managed Selena's fashion boutiques and their slated expansion into Mexico. But about three weeks before the day of the shooting, Selena's father confronted Yolanda in front of Selena. He'd noticed about $30,000 had gone missing from the boutique business. Since, Selena had tried to sever ties with Yolanda. But Selena needed missing financial documents that Yolanda kept promising to turn over in time for Selena to file taxes. The two women had once been friends, and Yolanda kept reaching out to Selena for personal help. Yolanda called Selena at 1 a.m. the night before, hysterically claiming she'd been raped on her way back from picking up the documents in Mexico. Early the next morning, Selena slipped out of bed without waking her husband. She picked up Yolanda from the motel, drove her to the hospital to get checked out for the injuries she'd suffered in the alleged assault. After, Selena drove Yolanda back to the motel. She walked into Yolanda's room, where she planned to pick up the tax papers. But as Selena tried to leave, Yolanda shot Selena in the back with a 38 caliber hollow-point bullet. Selena made it to the motel lobby, where workers called 911. Selena collapsed in the hotel lobby, her blood pooling on the floor. Hotel workers tried to keep her conscious, but she faded away quickly. Selena managed to say Yolanda's room number, 158. You don't know anything else about who might have done it or anything like that? It's another lady, that's all I know. We're trying to find out. And then, oh, okay, this lady's about 40 years old. There was a nearby unit, so paramedics arrived two minutes after the 911 call. But Selena's heartbeat was slowing down. By the time she reached the hospital, nurses said Selena had no signs of neurological function. Doctors opened Selena's chest to pump blood back into her heart, contrary to Selena's religious beliefs as a Jehovah's Witness. But she had bled so profusely that her chest was empty of blood, and her hollow veins couldn't take a transfusion. The single gunshot had punctured a major artery leading to the heart. Selena was pronounced dead at 1.05 p.m. People couldn't believe that this woman who exuded warmth and generosity had been killed in such a cruel, brutal way. The vigils got bigger. By Friday night, the morning had begun. Thousands of fans coming together to remember the young superstar who had so much to live for. 
Many of us, especially Mexican-Americans, have a painting stored in our mind of this day, of the moment we found out she was gone. And I'll never forget the day. I was four years old. I was six years old. I was eight years old. I remember very clearly where I was when she died. My brother ran up to me after school and said, Selena passed away. He was like, gente, like, this is not an April Fool's joke, unfortunately. I remember being in my graduate dorm, hearing the news and literally just falling to the ground in, in shock. I know now that Selena's death is a touchstone in our culture. Her loss linked us. It still does. Emily and I were hundreds of miles away, but we have very similar memories. The same feeling when we looked around these vigils, that there were more of us and that there was a way to recognize each other, that there was a new symbol for people like us. It was Selena's face. Her face was everywhere because we were everywhere, mourning her, celebrating her. Simple, heartfelt tributes adorned the fence surrounding the Tejano Star's home. A seemingly endless line of cars have been driving past Selena's house to pay their respects. Her death and her image after her death bolted Mexican-Americans, but really Latinos, into visibility. Even as a kid, I knew that mourning Selena meant that I was also part of something. But the thing about Selena transforming into a symbol for Latinos overnight is that now, to attack Selena was to attack a whole people. And I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to do it 20 friggin' times. And I want you to leave my country. No, man. Leave my country. I was born in this country, homeboy. I have the same equal rights you do, Gunnar. We'll be right back. Did you kill Marlene Johnson? I think you're one of the first people to have actually asked. From WBUR and ZSP Media, this is Beyond All Repair, a new podcast about an unsolved murder that will leave you questioning everything. Somebody should be in jail for murdering my sister. A woman who's never been believed. As long as they think I have done this, then they're not looking for who actually did this. And that's what makes it a cold case. No, it's a botched case. And a search for the truth, once and for all. Wow, it just gets more interesting. Beyond All Repair. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts. Be careful. You're digging in a place that's been very peaceful for a while. Do it anyway. Dig. A couple of days after her death... More than 60,000 people lined up to catch one last glimpse of Selena at a public viewing in Corpus Christi. Never in the history of Corpus Christi has someone's death had this much impact. Thousands of people, not only from Texas, but from all over the country, are here to pay their last respects to Selena. 
Her death still dominated national news. Yolanda Saldivar had been taken into custody. Selena was laid to rest on Monday, April 3rd, 1995. A couple days later, Bo Corona went to work at the radio station, still reeling from the loss. He was firing up the controls bright and early at around 5.30 a.m. when a message came across his desk. There was a press release that some disc jockey was played Selena music and played gunshots in the background. The Wire said that on the day of Selena's funeral, shock jock Howard Stern, one of the country's most popular radio hosts, had made fun of Selena and the people who grieved for her. Spanish people have the worst taste of music. They really do. They don't like death. No, they don't like any death. It's all like, you know, all happy. That's because they're all so sad. We have nothing. Our government is corrupt. See? Let's. Let's dance to happy music. <laughs> and big chubby girls and thongs, <laughs> you know. Water is dirty. <laughs> the water is dirty. Our money means nothing on the open markets in Europe. Government is corrupt. <laughs> Howard Stern was already huge in 1995. He called himself the king of all media. Two of his books had topped the New York Times bestseller list. His whole thing was getting attention for being controversial, often offensive. The FCC had fined him $600,000 for saying the closest he'd come to making love to a Black woman was masturbating to Aunt Jemima. But he wasn't seen as like a fringe cultural figure. He wasn't on right-wing talk radio. He was pretty mainstream. He did stuff like appear on the MTV Music Video Awards, sporting a $10,000 spandex suit exposing his butt cheeks. Is the camera getting a good shot of my beautiful ass? Look at it. It has powers. Allow me he was, to quote, edgy. And so the day after Selena's death, when every national outlet featured devastated Latinos crying on the street, Stern and his producers made fun of them while playing Selena music. Let's dance to happy Madonna-like music. <laughs> Let's dance and forget the people starving to dance. Oh, it's a spicy food. <laughs> Let's burn our pizza with the peppers. Yeah. Absolutely no feeling whatsoever. <laughs> If we wait till nighttime, the dogs won't bite us when we sneak into Thanksgiving in California. It's limbo under the border. Our country is so bad we have to sneak out in the middle of the night. But let's listen to vapid music. Anything that keeps our minds off of our terrible plank. As a nine-year-old child of Mexican immigrants, I didn't even know who Howard Stern was at the time. But when I discovered this tape, even 25 years after Selena's death... It felt like Stern made a mockery of our mourning. Our grief for Selena connected us, made us visible in this country. 
but also made us a target. I want to give you some context here. Like, what was in the national consciousness when Stern said these things? It was 1995. People were talking about where the country was headed as it rounded out the century, the millennium, the year 2000. In the decade between 1990 and 2000, the Latino population surged by almost 60%. NAFTA had taken effect the year before, bringing wages down for a lot of working-class folks in Mexico. Immigration to the U.S. ticked up. Lily-white towns and cities were demonstrably changing as Mexican workers moved in and started working factory jobs. Across the country, there was this palpable anxiety about Latinos, documented or undocumented, being the fastest-growing ethnic group in the U.S. They keep coming. Two million illegal immigrants in California. The federal government won't stop them at the border, yet requires us to pay billions to take care of them. There was fear that immigrants, documented or otherwise, would drive violent crime up and take jobs, that Latinos would not assimilate. The narrative around Mexican-Americans was one of dangerous gang members, lost dropouts, and teen mothers. Selena was always a symbol, whether she meant to be or not. As the nation was reeling with anxiety over Latinos, Selena, a squeaky clean, hardworking example of the American dream, was one of the most visible Mexican-Americans at the time. Selena was constantly upheld as an example of what Latinos could be. News reports made note of it when she died. And to her credit, she didn't shrink from being a role model. In fact, she seemed to welcome it. She used her popularity not just to sell herself, her music, and her sponsor's products, but also to send positive messages to her young fans. Selena seemed to be made for the role, too. She performed at a lot of stay-in-school rallies. Among them, another neighbor who recalls Selena's urging young people to stay in school. And so now I'm going to go back to school because I had dropped out and I'm going to go back. And I'm going to go to college and I'm going to be somebody because she said I could do it. And now that she's gone, I'm going to do it even more for her. There was this aspirational earnestness about her. You know, if you have a dream, don't let anybody take it away. And you always believe that the impossible is always possible. You feel a little more pressure now as a role model? I don't, I really don't feel pressure because I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to portray something that I'm not. So I'm just being myself. And uh, all these things that, that we're doing in any jobs that we take, you know, it's because it's what we believe in. Even Texas Governor George W. Bush proclaimed Selena Day on her birthday, exalting her as a success story. Selena era de las mejores artistas de Texas. Cuando murió, lo sentimos muy profundo en nuestros corazones. But back in that radio studio the day after her passing, Stern didn't seem to know or care what Selena had stood for. And that bothered Bo Corona, the Tejano DJ who'd read about Stern's tirade. Bo was on the radio himself. He felt like he had to stand up for his people. So Bo called Howard Stern, live, on the air. Hello? Yeah, Howard. Yeah, This is crazy. Come on, man. This is Bo Corona. I just want to, you know... Don't put on your disc jockey voice. Just talk normal. No, man. <laughs> I'm talking to you normal, Holmes. Okay. We have a lot of listeners here in Houston. 
It was a tragic death, man. Not something. Oh, be quiet. Okay. We, we're not making fun of her. Okay, that's Bo just had to know. Howard, all I want to know is if you were just playing music and doing gunshots in the background. That's no, it. Okay. absolutely not. Then, hey, as a matter of fact, what the uh, you know what? Mexican and Spanish community ought to do with all of their anger mm-hmm. is uh, go to Mexico and uh, go over there and get upset about the corruption in the government that you can't even, the peso is worthless. There are people living in cardboard boxes. They have a country where you can't even protest the fact that everyone is on the take. Howard, that's a whole Listening today, Stern's words to me reveal he can't fathom that people like Bo and Selena are Americans. Howard, that's a whole different vibe, man. We're well, Mexican-Americans, buddy. That this is our home. That we belong here. Bo kept pushing. Howard? No. Come on, can that? I'm not going to waste my time with you guys. Hey, hey man, did, did you do that? You see, now Robin's saying you did, I man. I said I didn't do it. What are you? Excuse me. What are you? Uh, are you Judge Ito? No, man. I'm just saying that ain't cool, Holmes. I mean, uh, you know what? You know what? I'm going to do it right now. Come on, be a man. Be a man, man. I'm going to play Selena music and play Gunshot Room <laughs> so you can say that I did it, okay? I don't really give a rat's ass who likes what. This is a free country. Yeah. I said nothing bad about Selena oh, but and her you, shooting. Yeah, Absolutely. And then, finally, the real issue comes out. What this big radio fight is really about. After one of Stern's producers admits to indeed playing gunshots during the report. And Stern loses it. Okay, so you did do it. And I'm going to do it again. Okay. And I'm going to do it 20 friggin' times. Right, and I want you to leave my country. No, man. I'm leave a, my country. I was born in this you country, homeboy. I have the you. same equal rights you do, Carnal. All we talked about was the music and how goofy this Spanish music is. And if, you, if, and you're if not, you can't say that, then it ain't America. Yeah, then go to Mexico if you don't like it. <laughs> and no one made fun of her. And no, one, and, and no one sat there and said it was great that she got shot or anything like that. All right, and man. all it is is we have some goofy people, some a couple of Hispanic who didn't even hear the show were sitting there trying to get something started. And you know what? I don't even care. Okay, man. You can all kiss my ass. Look, I know Stern Court's controversy and that he's made fun of other people like this. But I think this moment in pop culture is still important because it reveals to me that grieving for Selena, whether people realized it or not, was political. So was mourning Selena at the time a line in the sand? Like, did mourning her stand for something bigger? Howard Stern, right, explicitly is not mourning her. This is Deborah Paredes. She wrote a book called Selinidad and is like the Selena scholar. Which makes clear that like to mourn her is to take, if not always a political stand, certainly one that is aligned with... Um, affirming Latino life in some ways, right? Not, and, and then to not mourn her is to delight in Latino death. When I heard the Stern tape for the first time, that's what it felt like. Like if this woman, who was quickly becoming almost a sacred symbol, like if her death was just comedic material for Stern, like he delighted in Selena's death, or at least dismissed it. Hearing Stern's words feels like a scrape on an old wound for me. Here's why. 
1995 is also the year that news surfaced about mass graves of murdered women in and around Ciudad Juarez, across the border from my home in El Paso. Girls and women would disappear at alarming rates. They'd be found dead, left to decompose in the desert. People speculated about a serial killer, sex trafficking, drug-related violence. No one knew. And sometimes it felt like no one cared. Many of these women were poor, very poor, living in makeshift homes made of materials found in a bordering American landfill. The women worked in American factories on the Mexican side of the border. They often went missing while leaving their shifts in the middle of the night. But their murders went unsolved, their deaths normalized. I went to Juarez every weekend. I knew about these women. I protested for them later as a college student. But as a child, I remember hearing grown-ups talk about how the government didn't care about the disappearing women because they were poor and because they were brown. Selena had once been poor. She, too, was brown. But she'd been born on the side of the border that had afforded her a much different path. And yet, no matter if Selena was the acceptable brown person, the role model, the ultimate example of how Latinos could find the American dream, even then, to Howard Stern and the people he mobilized, Selena's life didn't seem to matter, just like the lives of the women in Juarez didn't seem to matter to the world. For several days after Stern's original commentary on Selena and his altercation with Bo, hundreds of Latinos protested outside his studio in Manhattan. Latino advocacy groups spoke out to call for the Howard Stern show to be pulled from the airwaves. A Mexican-American judge even symbolically issued an arrest warrant for Stern if he ever stepped foot in the city of Harlingen, Texas. Stern and his supporters kept up the same refrain, that Stern wasn't making fun of Selena or Mexicans. He was making fun of her music. TV cameras rolled as Stern supporters clashed with protesters outside of Stern's studio. All Howard really said was he didn't like the music. He really didn't said nothing against Selena. He said he just didn't like the music. So, you know, if they get upset about that... You're lying! That's not what he said! He was talking very bad about Mexicans! Stern was eventually pressured to apologize. But it's the way he did it that felt like another stab. May enfuerce que la vida de esta joven mujer se le fuese arrancada sin sentido. Now, in his own little funny way that he thinks he thought he was funny, he apologized. He did, I, I made him apologize, but he apologized in Spanish. I remember yo Howard Stern quiero decir que no I'm like shut up Stern apologized in exaggerated badly pronounced Spanish despite the fact that Selena primarily spoke English and so did her fans But I made him apologize and I think to this day I'm so proud of that moment because Selena to this day has meant everything to us and she's gotten bigger and better and she's just the, the shining star that will not 
ever go away. The days after Selena's death revealed discrimination against Mexican-Americans in the mainstream media. But it revealed other things as well. The week Selena died, People magazine did something it had done only once before for Audrey Hepburn. It sold two distinct magazines, one with Selena on the cover in the Southwest and the other with the cover of the cast of Friends in the rest of the country. Here's Deborah Paredes again. So part of the country gets the cover that features the cast of Friends, um, and part of the country gets a cover that features Selena's face and a report on on her murder. Um, Which, of course, in many ways is such a visual metaphor for that moment. Or a glimpse into how vastly disconnected the country seemed to be. One part of it grieving for a slain brown singer, the other preoccupied with an all-white sitcom cast. The Selena magazine sold out overnight again and again over the next couple of weeks. The numbers prompted People magazine to form People en Español. We'll talk more about that in the next episode. The point for now is that Selena's face was everywhere in this pivotal point in history for Latinos. Selena's face on magazines, on posters at vigils, on stickers and candles— became a ubiquitous symbol right as Latinos were being newly recognized as a collective, a constituency in the U.S. And Selena, she symbolized a transcendence without compromise. She showed that you could make it without giving up the parts of yourself that made you, you. The hoops, the Spanglish accent, her frizzy hair, the working-class aesthetic— Selena's image, her iconography, formed as a new, more visible Latino identity took shape too. Selena's likeness transformed into a shorthand for a whole experience. And loving her, to this day, stands for something. My friend Emily knows this. Emily, who discovered death and tragedy through Selena at the age of four, who can close her eyes and see her mind's blurry painting of that day. And I I am mourning the same loss that you are. So it's this like ritual of of memory and of mourning. It was so all-encompassing to see people come together in this way and to, um, yeah, to just, just take community with each other. That day wasn't just about tragedy and death, but about recognizing your own by memorializing an icon. It's something that stayed with Emily since. When I take on her image for myself, when I embrace my naturally dark hair, when I wear gold hoops, when I wear red lipstick, when I speak Spanglish, I feel like those are parts of her that gave me permission to, you know, celebrate my own Chicana hood in my own image and take it on myself. I think of Selena like this vanguard 
who gave us a visual language, a way to spot each other. Like Emily, Selena's death made me realize there were so many more people like me. It was the first time I experienced solidarity, like I was part of something bigger than myself, like I wasn't alone, like we will never be alone. Next week, we tackle big butt politics. When the movie came out, Marcella told Jennifer Lopez, Jennifer, you got a big butt like Selena. And the reporters picked it up. And why I believe there's a direct line between Selena and today's mainstreaming of big butts. But the history of the derriere is not trivial. It revealed to me the fraught relationship between Latino identity and Blackness. That's next time on Anything for Selena. If you like this episode, join us for an after party on Instagram Live, where we'll tell you about the making of the episode, chat with special guests, and have a little drink together. Start your weekend with us every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on Instagram. Find us at Selena underscore podcast. Anything for Selena is a co-production of the iLab at WBUR, Boston's NPR news station, and Futuro Studios. I'm your host, Maria Garcia. Our producers are Kristen Torres, Antonia Cerejido, and Juan Diego Ramirez, with additional production assistance from Frank Hernandez, Sandra Riaño, and Maria Alexa Cavanaugh. Mixing and sound design by Paul Vikas. Our editor is Marlon Bishop. Ben Brock Johnson is the executive producer of the iLab and contributed production management. Additional editing for this episode by Iris Adler and Catherine Brewer. Some original music for this episode was composed by Paul Vaitkis. Special thanks to Deborah Paredes, professor of creative writing and ethnic studies at Columbia University, whose book, Selinidad, Selena, Latinos, and the Performance of Memory, contributed to the research for this episode. Ileana Galvez created the artwork for this series. Find out more about anything for Selena on Twitter and Instagram at Selena underscore podcast and at WBUR.org slash anything for Selena. <laughs> <laughs>